Welcome, everyone, to this bonus episode of Happier in Hollywood. As promised, Liz and I are going to do a pitch that we sold to Fox in 2011. The script never got made into a pilot, but we did sell the same show again to Fox in 2013 when it also did not get made. And we sold this with Warner Brothers, and we used their pitch document as a basis for the structure. If you're interested in knowing more about the Warner Brothers pitch document, listen to episode 128. We talked about it in depth. And before we get started, we wanted to say we feel like if we did this pitch today, it would be different and it would be better, particularly the pilot section. So at the end, we're going to do a little critique of ourselves. Yes. And before we dive in, we should mention we talk about a Clancy in the pitch. That's Clancy Collins White, who is one of our executives at Warner Brothers. We love her. Also, we developed this during a recession. So there's mention of the recession. And we did adjust a few references to make it a bit more current. But in general, 99.99%, this is the pitch we did in 2011. And that's the preamble for the American Beauties pitch. Coming up, we will do the pitch. But first, this break. I'm nervous. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Liz, let's do it. This is the pitch for American Beauties. A few years ago, I was on a Southwest Airlines flight from L.A. to Kansas City, and I read an article in the in-flight magazine called Turning Pink about a freelance writer who became a Mary Kay Cosmetics beauty rep. Basically, she went on a journey from being a shy non-believer who barely wore makeup to being a Mary Kay disciple who was doing everything from warm, chattering potential clients at a bar to screaming, I'm hot, in a room full of fellow beauty reps. I'm telling you, it sounded so empowering that by the end of the article, even I wanted to be a Mary Kay consultant. Flash forward three years, and we're talking about how we want to create a show that's set in a unique and vivid world, one with its own rules, its own language, its own culture. And Liz remembers this article from Spirit Magazine, and voila, American Beauties is born. But, of course, we couldn't just do a show about beauty consultants. We had to shake it up a little. We're all familiar with Mary Kay Cosmetics, famous for its iconic pink Cadillacs. Most of us have had a friend whose divorced mom started to sell Mary Kay out of her garage or a dorm mate who was pushing lipsticks every time you saw her in the laundry room. Clancy's former assistant used her vacation time to go to a Mary Kay convention in Dallas. Sarah's Aunt Jean has been a Mary Kay client for 30 years. 
What we love about this world is that it's contingent on maintaining existing relationships and building new ones. And yet it can be totally cutthroat, which is only one of the reasons we describe the show as Desperate Housewives meets Breaking Bad. More on that later. Our version of Mary Kay is American Beauty, the cosmetics company that offers more than a career. In a time when out-of-work Americans are looking for alternate means of income, it offers hope, opportunity, and 50% off all regularly priced merchandise. Whereas Mary Kay is all about jewels, reps reach levels of ruby or emerald or diamond depending on the number of women they recruit into the company, American Beauty is a flower-based system. Every beauty starts as a daisy, then works her way up to tulip, then lily, then white rose, then pink rose, and finally red rose. There is only one red rose per region, and she is expected to be part boss, part mother, and part guru. To be successful, a beauty has to believe. She believes that every time she opens her American Beauty makeup sampler, she's opening a box of possibility. She isn't selling bronzer. She's supplying self-esteem. She's not hawking lip liner. She's healing a broken heart. To make up one's face is not to put on a mask, but to enhance and uplift who one truly is. The evening news may be all about downsizing, but American beauties share the philosophy that more is more. More love, more sex, more friends, more money. They want more for themselves and from themselves. The goal of every beauty is to climb the flower ladder, to be a rose. But every rose has its thorns. And thorns are complicated. They represent both our flaws and our strengths. They keep us safe, but they also keep others away. Thorns are necessary, but they're dangerous, and they need to be handled with care. At the center of American Beauties is 28-year-old Molly Mendoza, an utterly thornless eternal optimist who tries so hard all the time but just can't seem to get it right. We meet Molly on a scorching Phoenix, Arizona morning. It's rush hour on the outskirts of town. Molly, think Gina Rodriguez, naturally pretty, a daisy pin on her freshly ironed shirt, sits behind the wheel of her much-loved, barely-running 1970s orange VW van. As Molly drives, she gives herself a little pep talk. You're a confident woman. You connect. Feel it till you reel it, Molly. Feel it till you reel it. Molly keeps up the pep talk as she steers the van into a dusty parking lot. She quickly reviews a checklist on a red piece of stationery labeled, No-Fail Checklist for Success. Then, with a bright red plastic case in hand, she heads for the entrance of the Arizona State Prison for Women. In her newly polished five-year-old pumps and button-down shirt, Molly could be any nervous young lawyer coming to meet a client. Except for that bright red plastic case, which she sends through the x-ray machine at security with particular care. A handsome, quietly charming deputy who we'll meet later is Joe, escorts her down the hall to a set of double doors. See it till you be it, Molly tells herself, and then she pushes through the doors and into a stark, overly warm all-purpose room where 40 female prisoners sit staring at her. Molly turns to Joe. Uh, sorry, is this the wrong room? She was expecting a few lady prisoners, you know, just the ones getting released in the next 48 hours. But Joe says she's in the right place. With overcrowded prisons, they've got to keep people moving out, so... Right. Okay, Molly faces the prisoners. Her heart is already starting to pound. The faces staring at her range from uninterested to downright hostile. One woman with tattooed eyebrows and piercing holes all over her face looks like she would happily eat Molly alive. 
Still, she manages an almost convincing perky smile as she sets her bright red plastic case on a table and begins, Hello, I'm Molly Mendoza, and today is all about putting your best face forward during this special time as you, Molly searches for the right words, re-enter society. There are glares from the women. With a flourish, Molly flips the latch on her case and opens it to reveal a stunning array of lipsticks, blushes, mascaras, moisturizers, foundations, eyeshadows. At American Beauty, we believe every woman is a flower waiting to bloom. The women exchange looks, tattooed eyebrows laughs. Molly's smile falters. She's sweating now. The faces before her begin to blur. I'm here to change your destiny, Molly's voice wavers, one eyeshadow at a time. And then she faints dead away. Of course, what's really going to happen is that two of these women are going to change Molly's destiny. Now, in order to understand how Molly came to be standing in front of a sea of orange jumpsuits holding a giant case of makeup, let us tell you a little about her. In life, in love, at work, things just aren't going Molly's way. She loved her job at a Phoenix graphic design firm until the firm shut down six months ago. She loved her boyfriend, Brian, until she found out he was sending pictures of his nethers to hotties over Twitter. And she loves the active adult community she found for her dad. She just can't afford to pay for it anymore. You might wonder why Molly is taking care of her dad instead of the other way around. But Molly's an only child. Her mom died when she was very young, and she was raised by her dad, Miguel, who lives every day with vigor and enthusiasm and a strong commitment to never taking responsibility for anything. For as long as Molly can remember, she's been the one to worry about life's little details, paying bills, grocery shopping, doctor's visits. Miguel takes it for granted that Molly will make everything okay, and so far she has. As an eternal optimist, Molly is convinced that change is just around the corner. Sure, she has no job. Sure, she's flat broke with a skeezy ex-boyfriend who won't return her half of the security deposit on their old place. And yes, she does happen to be living in her van at the moment. These are just setbacks. Like so many Americans these days, Molly's had a run of bad luck, but she'll turn it around. She has to. So when an American beauty rep named Pilar approached her at the grocery store a month ago, Molly took it as a sign. She said yes to the free makeover. She said yes to Pilar's heartfelt sales pitch and yes to spending her last $200 on the American beauty sales kit that makes her Pilar's newest daisy. Molly is determined to succeed as a daisy and climb the flower ladder. So far, however, she hasn't found her inner saleswoman. The other beauties are so perky, so personable, so professionally groomed. Who wouldn't want to invite them over for a powder party? And it's not enough to just sell makeup. To be a truly successful beauty, Molly needs her own petals, recruits who will give Molly a cut of whatever cosmetics they sell. But attracting recruits requires the same skills as selling makeup, and those are skills Molly just doesn't have yet. Molly's a rose waiting to happen. She hasn't grown the thorns she needs to survive and thrive, but she will. Because Molly won't give up. Becoming an American beauty is her chance to turn her life around, and she will turn it around. Because despite all the bad luck, Molly's awesome. She's pretty, smart, hardworking. Okay, so she's a little awkward, and meeting new people gives her a mild case of the hives, but she'll work through it. Molly's the girl you root for. She has a kind heart. She sees the best in people. She's an American beauty through and through, and it's time for her luck to improve. But will it? Since Molly is our way into this world, we'll introduce you to the rest of the characters as we take you through the broad strokes of the pilot. After we see Molly at the prison in the teaser, we flash back to 24 hours earlier. 
we find Molly trying and failing to sell makeup to a young woman. As Molly awkwardly expounds upon the virtues of American beauty products, all natural, made in the USA, guaranteed to make your skin positively dewy, we realize that she's at the active adult community where her father, Miguel, lives. As the young woman, a nurse's aide, politely begs off, Miguel offers Molly some sales tips. Her problem is that she's too nice. She's asking people to buy as opposed to telling them what she's going to sell. We get the dynamic between Molly and her dad. She adores him. He loves that she adores him. As Molly leaves, she's intercepted by administrator Jocelyn Hess, 40s uptight. Someone's late paying her father's bill again. If Molly can't pay ASAP, her dad will have to find a new place to live. Molly assures Jocelyn she just needs a few days. She recently broke up with her boyfriend and things have been a little tough, but she's found a new business opportunity. And by the way, she would just kick herself if she didn't ask who Jocelyn's beauty rep is. Jocelyn grimly points to a no-soliciting sign, bursting Molly's already fragile bubble. Feeling defeated, Molly goes to Pilar, the ambitious Lily who brought Molly into American Beauty. Pilar O'Reilly thinks Sofia Vergara is driven, organized, smart, effervescent, and gorgeous. Her mother literally crawled across the Mexican-American border at eight and a half months pregnant to give her soon-to-be-born daughter access to the American dream. Now, as a military wife, her husband is a decidedly hot Air Force pilot instructor and mom of three, Pilar is 100% gung-ho, all-in American beauty. And she won't settle for being just any beauty. She wants to be the best. When Molly comes to Pilar, she says she's turning in her daisy pin. She needs money fast, and she's just not good at being a beauty. But Pilar says she has never lost a pedal, and she's not going to start now. All Molly needs is a little confidence and Pilar's no-fail checklist for success, which she hands over on a piece of red stationery. Soon enough, Molly will see there are potential pedals everywhere, the post office, the coffee shop, even the dressing room at Target. In the meantime, Pilar was supposed to volunteer at the women's prison Dress for Success Day, but she's going to let Molly go instead. If ever there were a group in need of makeup transformation, it's no doubt these ladies— They'll make Molly feel good about her skills, and feeling good about her skills will open her up to success. Pilar's pep talk is still ringing in Molly's ears when she shows up at the Arizona State Prison for Women, where she's tasked with making over a group of female felons about to be released into the workforce. This is where we met Molly in the teaser. Among the 40 inmates who watched as Molly fainted dead away are Carolina Abbott and Tiffany Ryan. Carolina, 30s, and Anna Paquin type, is loyal, kind-hearted, and great in the sack. Just ask any of her regular Johns. Unfortunately, she's a terrible shoplifter, which is how she ended up in jail for two years. It's not like Carolina was shoplifting for herself. Having grown up poor and the youngest of seven, Carolina never had anything new or nice. She just wanted better for her kids, twins Tony and Elise, and she wanted it to be from the Nike store and Bloomingdale's. What her kids got instead was two years of living without their mom in a shared room at grandma's house. Now all Carolina wants is to go straight and make up for lost time. Tiffany, think Tiffany Haddish, takes shit from no one. Just ask her last boss, whom she accidentally ran over and killed after he harassed her one too many times by the copy machine. After five years in prison for manslaughter, she's tired of living rough. If she wants the creature comfort, she's going to have to find a way to get them. When Molly comes to, she finds herself lying on the floor, staring up at Carolina and Tiffany. 
Carolina offers a hand. Tiffany says, buck up. They're not as scary as they look. Molly will do fine. Later, as Molly makes over the inmates, it's clear Carolina and Tiffany don't believe a hand-me-down power suit or volumizing mascara are going to lead to a dream job. Who's going to hire Tiffany once they find out she killed her last boss? And with Carolina's track record, the only work she'll be able to find is the crappy night shift cleaning kind. She'll never see her kids. As Molly shows the women how to dab-not-rub liquid foundation into those unsightly dark circles under the eyes, Pilar's words come back to her. Opportunity is everywhere. Molly regards Carolina and Tiffany. Suddenly, she's not volunteering. She's recruiting. Molly brings Tiffany and Carolina into the American Beauty fold, ecstatic to have the first two petals on her daisy. But when Pilar gets wind of the fact that Molly's petals happen to be felons, she's furious and feels betrayed. Does Molly think this company is a joke? How could she mar its image with a klepto hooker and a murderer? This is exactly the reaction Tiffany and Carolina were afraid of, but Molly defends them in front of a bevy of beauties and their clients. Tiffany and Carolina deserve the same second chance that American Beauty has given Molly herself, damn it. People clap. Molly feels vindicated until a tulip, this is Danica McQueenie, a rich housewife who views climbing the flower ladder as competitive blood sport, announces that her garage door opener has been stolen from her purse. All eyes go to Tiffany and Carolina. Molly and Pilar end up in a private sit-down with Helen Vandeveer, the Red Rose. Helen, think Bette Midler, perfectly put together a fabulous Red Rose brooch perpetually pinned to her lapel, is the doyen of the American Beauty Southwest region, the one and only Red Rose. Her graciousness is legendary, her sales skills unmatched, her coloring perfect. If something absolutely must be done right, Helen should be your first call. Alternately, if something's gone horribly wrong, Helen can fix it. There's no one she doesn't know and no one who doesn't love her except her husband. Being the one and only Southwest Regional Red Rose is the single most important thing in Helen's life. She's good at it. It defines her and she will do anything to stay on top. In the meeting with a very nervous Molly and Pilar, Helen questions Molly's judgment but agrees to give the prison petals a chance. If they screw up, however, it's on Molly's shoulders. Molly has faith in Tiffany and Carolina, who are moved by her loyalty. No one's stuck up for either of them in a very long time. Molly would be on top of the world if it weren't for one major thorn in her side. Her ex-boyfriend, Brian, seems intent on ruining her life. Brian is the worst kind of asshole. He seems kind. He seems sane. He seems law-abiding, when, in fact, he's a diabolical megalomaniac. We've all been with one or two of those. Desperate for money to help her dad, Molly swallows her pride and asks Brian for her half of the security deposit on the house they rented together. Brian refuses, but she's totally welcome to move back in, he tells her. He really does miss her. Molly flips. She chose him to date because he was supposed to be the nice guy who would never break her heart. She settled for him, and now she hates herself for it. Molly's self-flagellation over dating Brian reaches new heights when Molly tries to buy lunch for Tiffany and Carolina only to have her last remaining credit card rejected. Turns out Brian maxed it out. Molly tries to keep it together but breaks down in front of Tiffany and Carolina, who are proving to be the best kind of say-it-like-it-is girlfriends. Molly can take living in her van. She can even take being humiliated. But now Brian is screwing with her dad and her future. 
The next day, Molly bumps into Joe Cerullo, the deputy she met in the teaser. He's brought his mother to an American Beauty Transcend Yourself makeover event. Joe, 30s, is a handsome young cop who's funny and sweet and charming and exactly the kind of guy Molly would want to date if the idea of romance didn't currently make her go blech. He's a bona fide good guy, the kind you always hear about but never actually meet. The only beings, human or otherwise, that Joe doesn't have a soft spot for are criminals who get no sympathy from him. As far as he's concerned, laws exist for a reason and there's no excuse for breaking them, period. Wanting revenge and remuneration, Molly finds herself telling Joe all about Brian. Joe tells her he'd love to slap handcuffs on Brian for maxing out her credit card, but he can't arrest him without proof. Molly feels helpless, not to mention bummed that Deputy Joe probably thinks she's pathetic, not that she's interested. Later, asleep in her van, Molly is woken up by her ringing cell phone. It's Deputy Joe. Molly is flustered and happy. The truth is she likes this guy. A tiny little part of her was hoping he would ask her out. But Joe isn't calling for romance. Do you know a Brian Loomis, he asks? Cut to Molly and Deputy Joe standing at the scene of a hit-and-run accident. Brian's body is at their feet. He's dead, a fancy new bicycle mangled nearby. Molly is in shock. Joe says police found a silver BMW registered to a Danica McQueenie totaled a few miles away. And there's silver paint at this scene. There may be a connection. Molly's mind immediately goes to her prison pedals, especially Tiffany, who accidentally ran over her boss. But she doesn't mention that to Deputy Joe, who tells Molly that as the ex-girlfriend, she's going to have to be investigated, which means they'll be seeing more of each other. Off their chemistry, dot, 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 Molly confronts Tiffany, who swears she had nothing to do with Brian's death. You mean you didn't steal Danica McQueenie's garage door opener, then steal her silver BMW, then run down my ex-boyfriend as some kind of weird favor to me, Molly asks? Tiffany convinces her, for the moment, that she's innocent. Goodbye, Van. Hello, house. Now that Brian is dead, there's no reason for Molly not to move back in. At least she knows the rent is paid through the end of the month. Pilar, Tiffany, and Carolina gather to help Molly get rid of Brian's stuff. Despite the tension and the ongoing conflicts between the women, they all want to support Molly. Tiffany and Carolina throw handfuls of Brian's boxers into the burn pile. Molly watches her new friends for a moment, wondering who and what has she brought into her life. What's clear is that things will never be the same. Our pilot ends with a music montage. As a cool, updated cover of Poison's Every Rose Has Its Thorn plays, we see each beauty in her element. Molly settles into her house. Pilar, uncharacteristically in sweats and no makeup, shares a nice moment with her husband. Carolina tucks the twins into bed. Helen stands in her home office regarding a huge wall of glamour shots. These are her petals, and there are hundreds of them. As Helen's eyes linger on Molly's photo, it seems all's well that ends well, until we find... Tiffany, driving down the highway, opens her purse. She pulls out a garage door opener. The initials DM are spelled out on it in red rhinestones. Tiffany rolls down the window, hurls the garage door opener into the desert. Finally, we find Molly as she sets up her American Beauty Shrine in what used to be Brian's office. As she shoves aside one of his file boxes, the lid comes off and the box spills. Molly picks up a large, clear bag Molly picks up a large clear bag filled with illegal prescription drugs, enough to sell. What was her boyfriend into? 
The 19th century French writer Stendhal said that beauty is the promise of happiness. Karl Lagerfeld says there is no beauty without strangeness. We're off Molly, staring at the drugs in her hand, wanting answers about her old life even as she rushes headlong into her strange and beautiful new one. In the first season of American Beauties, Molly will learn to embrace her thorns. If you think Tiffany and Carolina are tough, they've got nothing on the American Beauty set. As much as the beauties are about community, team building, and empowerment, cosmetics is a cutthroat business and competition is fierce. To be the best American Beauty she can be, Molly's going to have to toughen up. Luckily, she's got Tiffany and Carolina. As they help Molly become a better beauty, Molly in turn shows them that there's more to being a flower than the thorns. To be the women they want to be, they're going to have to do a little pruning. Also in the first season, of course, we'll play out the repercussions of Molly's discovery of Brian's drug stash. With her American beauty business in its nascent stages, she still needs money. And Brian's drugs could pay her dad's rent long enough to get her back on her feet. But selling them will take Tiffany and Carolina's help. It's not the greatest timing that she happens to be falling in love with a sheriff's deputy. Each episode will also have a closed-ended story. For instance, Tiffany breaks into an out-of-town client's house to host a powder party. Or, in the middle of a pedal push, Molly has to help Helen stave off a negative media blitz from a group of disgruntled ex-beauties called Seeing Red— or Pilar is tempted to cheat when the launch of the men's line brings her into contact with a sexy new client. Or, and this is one of our favorites, Molly has to keep Helen and Pilar in the dark when Carolina organizes an American beauty slash booty parlor party that sends clients home with a lipstick vibrator and their American beauty makeup kits. Most episodes will center around an American beauty-related event. A powder party, a pedal push, a lipstick launch, a beauty bar. The alliteration and the possibilities are endless. When we say American Beauties as Desperate Housewives meets Breaking Bad, we mean it has both the close female friendships and enemy ships of Desperate Housewives and the darker, sometimes twisted criminal element of Breaking Bad. Like Desperate Housewives, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but like Breaking Bad, it is serious. Though the world of the show is heightened, stories will always be grounded in real emotions. We set the show in Phoenix, home of gated communities and mini malls, because as busted as it once was booming, stakes are high for the people who live there. Against a drab, brown landscape, our beauties are desert flowers, colorful, unexpected, and strong. Especially Molly, who through her prison petals will learn that nice girls don't always rise to the top, or in this case, climb the flower ladder. Every rose has its thorns, and it's only as Molly discovers her thorns that her rose will finally be able to fully bloom. The end. <laughs> And that's the American Beauties pitch. Coming up, Sarah and I give ourselves a little critique. But first, this break. So, Sarah, what is our critique? We think the pilot story is way too long. Way too long and just sort of blah. So a couple things happened in the development process that really made this particular pilot episode better, which were we added a sales event that everyone was kind of focused on. Yeah, a competition. Yes. And also we made Brian a bigger asshole. Like in this yes. version, he doesn't actually really deserve to die. 
in the pilot we ended up writing, he really did. And we also added a male beauty rep named yes. Cash who changed up the dynamics a lot. He yes. and Pilar were in, um, sort of bitter rivals. And so he brought a lot of fun to the pilot. Yes. The development process made the pilot episode like a thousand times better. Yeah. But I also think just in a pitch that we did today, this pilot would never have made it to the pitch for us. Right. We would have known there wasn't enough there. There, there. there. <laughs> yes. That said... I do still just really love this show. As a show, I think it really holds strong. Yes, this is a world I would like to live in. Yeah. American beauty. I would like to climb the flower ladder. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's our bonus episode of Happier in Hollywood, the American Beauty's pitch. Thank you for listening. Of course, as always, we'd love for you to subscribe to the show. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed. And thank you to everyone at Sankola Sound. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. And thank you to Cadence 13. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Every rose has its thorn, just like every knife has its thorn. <laughs> From the Onward Project. <laughs>